evening. Grace Community Church welcomes you to another Tuesday night Bible study. And uh, we have been doing the book of Joshua. So we'll probably just go ahead and get started right on in that right now. Uh, we left off in chapter 10 last week in Joshua. Uh, just looking back to see where we've gotten so far. Of course, the theme of this whole book of Joshua is be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Uh, and that is good for all of us. We need that constantly, all the time. Um, Joshua was. Uh, he was through all the book of Joshua. We see a great leader. Uh, the nation of Israel also had to be strong and courageous as they took on their foes and defeated them to absolute total triumph. So, uh, we know that as he was strong and courageous, they started out... <clears throat> In uh, the first battle was, of course, the walls of Jericho uh, were taken down. God did that, of course. So they defeated Jericho. They went on to Ai and defeated them the second time. First time they beat themselves there, really. Um, and as they moved on, there was a group of people that we looked at last week was dealing with uh, the Gibeonites who tricked the Israelites making them think that they were from a distant land when actually they were really in that same area, just uh, really down the road, a few miles away. But there was a peace treaty out of that. The Gibeonites did recognize who Yahweh was, and that's the reason why the Israelites had won. They wanted to be on their side. They were servants from there on out. Well, as we moved on, we saw that in that chapter that there were five kings of the Amorites who had gotten together of uh, different cities to take on the Gibeonites because the Gibeonites were considered to be traitors. And so they came to the city and basically surrounded it and was ready to take on the Gibeonites at that time, who are fierce warriors, by the way. Uh, what are the Israelites going to do in this? Well, they had a covenant with them. And so they marched all night, went to the, the city, and they made the Amorite kings run. They started defeating them quickly, and they ran as far as 20 miles. The Israelites were defeating them heavily. Of course, God was definitely helping a lot. Uh, and more were even killed in the battle by his hailstones that he rained down upon them, more than what the Israelites had even killed. So we know that God is behind all of this. He is the sovereign God, and he is the covenant God as he helps Israelites, and he controls this uh, whole area takeover. And that is the promise, that is the covenant that he's made with his people. So, as they had moved on down further, a little bit south, and the Israelites were conquering them, uh, Joshua asked God if he could have uh, more daylight. Uh, and that was really the day the, I guess you could say, the earth stood still, or the sun stood still. Whatever it was, there was enough light and they were able to conquer the enemy by the end of that long, long day. And the daylight, uh, of course, aided them. That was definitely a supernatural event that God did, and as he answered the prayer from Joshua. And so that's where we're at now, 
as we continue on this saga, we um, are actually, I think we got down to about 1028, somewhere in that area. We are in what we can now call the conquest. That's what this is known as we move into the southern part of uh, what's going to be Israel. And then later, and what we'll see today also, as we move into chapter 11, uh, that will be the northern part that will be conquered also by the Israelites. We've kind of done the first phase now of all of this. And uh, Yahweh fights for his people. And as we look at Joshua 10.28, it says, Now Joshua captured Makedah, on that day, and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed it and every person who was in it. He left no survivor. Thus he did to the king of Makedah, just as he had done to the king at Jericho. So, uh, complete victory. That's where a lot of the um, armies had fled as the Israelites chased after them. Uh, they conquer Makedah, which is really the, the last battle in this section that has full details, if you want to call it that way, because the rest of the cities that they win against, uh, it's really one or two verses, not a lot mentioned. It's almost the same thing. They come into the city, they totally destroy them, devastate them, and move on to the next city. So from here on, we get kind of bare-bones detail, and that's basically how we're going to approach this uh study tonight because if you're taking on two chapters you think, oh my, this is going to take quite a, a length of time but it's really not. We're not going to read every verse. We're just going to kind of summarize what was happening in that time. And um, we know that as they move into um, out of Makedah into verse 29 now we see the relentless operation that the Israelites have in their army and, and a tremendous amount of soldiers in that army as they take on now the rest of the southern portion of Canaan. The next city to fall is in Libna, and that's verse 29 through 30. In 31 and through, thir uh, through 32 is Lachish. And uh, Joshua and all Israel conquer them and devastate them. We move into verse 33, and there is uh, Gezer, uh, who had actually came up to help Lachish. And uh, that didn't work out too good. And, uh, of course, God's people strike them. And, and then there's the next city, Eglon, which is about 40 miles to the south of Jerusalem. And that's how far, we, far we've gotten now in this conquest of the southern area. So that's verse 34, verse 35. Uh, we move into verse 36, 37. We see Hebron, which is then destroyed. Uh, it's about 20 miles to the east of Eglon, still in the southern area. And then they attack uh, Deber, to the south and, and the west of Hebron. And that's how we've gotten all the way to verse 37. We've conquered quite a few cities in a short amount of time. But uh, this is really, when you get into verse 40 through 43, it's kind of a summarization of what is uh, going on. Uh, we'll read that. So Joshua struck the whole land, the hill country, 
and the Negev and the lowland and the slopes and all their kings he left none remaining but devoted to destruction all that breathed just as the Lord God of Israel commanded and Joshua struck them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Giza and all the country of Goshen so far as Gibeon and Joshua captured all these kings and their land at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel time and time again that, that's what you see the Lord God fights for Israel. It's the only way they can get these victories. Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. And that's been their base camp all along. They come back there for a little bit um, and we know that they have really opposed the southern armies, defeated them, destroyed. There were no Canaanite kings left. No armies. The south was just totally taken then by the Israelites. So they were able to return to Gilgal for a time, take a little bit of rest, kind of refit, regroup, because now they're going to have the northern part of Canaan to take over also. And you might think, well, how long has this taken? Like a couple of days or so? Seems like they were out one city and go right on. A few weeks? Well, actually, in Joshua 11:18, we'll see that these battles actually took considerable time. They played out over many miles and several years, actually. So it's a, a total Israelite victory as they move through the land. And everyone in Canaan is getting the message that the Israelites are there to destroy them, to defeat them totally. And they understand that. You would think they would anyway. But as they get ready to move into the north, there's a coalition of tribes that are going to oppose the advancing Israelites. And so they had heard what happened, not only here in Canaan, but going all the way back to Egypt. And then many of their other victories that they've had, they know that this has been from the one true God. But yet they continue to try to fight against the Israelites. Now as we move into chapter 11, we're going to see that these Canaanites do not want to submit to God's law. They are fighting and losing. So another Canaanite king forms an alliance in a futile effort to take on the Israelites. In verse 1 and through 3, we see that Jabin is the king of Hazor. So he gets something going and gets with some other cities to try to mount up a big army. And they do. And they're going to try to attack Israel. <laughs> and they're going to try to surprise them. That usually doesn't work out too good. There's a great horde and number like the sand that's uh, on the seashore. Horses and chariots, and they join forces to fight against the Israelites. Now, Hazor is a large city, and it's in the whole entire, I guess you could say, northern portion of Canaan. There's different regions there. Other cities come together. And so Jabin is going to do what Adonai Zedek had done earlier when the five kings tried to attack Gibeah. And uh, so they're going to try to take the initiative to hit first 
because of the Israelites at first, he don't have a chance. According to verse 6, it says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow at this time I will give over all of them slain to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So once again, Joshua, Israelites, are going to go on the offense. And they're going to go there and defeat the enemy before they even have a chance. It's going to be another surprise attack. And so you have a burning of the Canaanite chariots and you have the hamstring of the horses. Uh, they cut their hamstrings by a, uh, a blow from the swords is what happened. And so we get a short verse uh, summary in uh, 7 through 9. But it's just as the southern campaign had ended, Joshua is able to position himself and completely surprise this Canaanite force at Miram. It's a hundred miles north of where they had camped in Gilgal, which is their base camp. So they're up a hundred miles north from there. Pretty good ways. So once the Canaanite army is wiped out, Joshua consolidates his victory. He now is going to destroy all the major Canaanite cities in the northern portions. And in verses 10 through 13, we get a, a recount there that uh, Joshua turned back. He captured Hazor, struck its king with the sword. Now, Hazor was the home of Jabin. Jabin had led that coalition of the Canaanites, and it would be burned, be left in ruins in case of the other cities, the inhabitants were killed, the cities would be left intact, uh, usually. But this man, Caban, Jabin, who had uh, gotten so many of the people together in the coalition, because of that, they burn that city down. And so this is exactly what happens. Once the Canaanite armies are defeated in um, 11, 14, and 15, all the spoil of those, uh, those cities, livestock, Israel took for their plunder. So they're gathering all this up. And, of course, you can think, you know, they, did, they inherited all of this. And that's what this is about. It's really an inheritance. They're doing what God is telling them. So if they'll be obedient, God is blessing them. And so, the Lord had commanded Moses and Joshua to leave nothing as far as the people are there are concerned. And people can be startled by the death of so many people done in this way. But they knew that Yahweh was the true living God. They did not do what the Gibeonites did who also knew, but they were like repentant. And they wanted to serve the Israelites and the living God. All the rest of the people reject God anyway, no matter what. So in the northern part, all the kings captured, put to death, killed soldiers, uh, the horses, the chariots, they're all destroyed. Nothing is left behind. And then we see, uh, as this conquest goes on in verse 18, Joshua made a war a long time 
with all those kings. So it wasn't just a few weeks or a few months. It was actually years that this took. Probably five to seven years. And the reason we can say that is in uh, Joshua 14.10, a couple of chapters ahead or so, three chapters. Uh, Caleb speaks of having spied out that land 45 years earlier, where there were 40 years in the wilderness. So that leaves five years that uh, we would know that it would at least be at least that number, uh, all the way to seven years possibly, somewhere in that realm that it took for that whole campaign of knocking out the Canaanites. And verse 19 and 20, it's kind of interesting, we'll read that, tells us that there was not a city that made peace with the people of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon, they took them all in battle. As I said, the Gibeonites, who were great fighters, chose wisely. And so it says it was the Lord's doing, in verse 20, to harden their hearts. Interesting. We've seen that before. God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. We also see that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But also, God hardened his heart. God operates on that principle. Hearts are already hard. Whenever they are so against him, he can make them even more hardened. That's why they would continue to fight against the Israelites, not winning, not even having a chance. And they knew the history. God hardened their hearts, as it says in verse 20. That means there was no mercy, and he totally destroyed them. He either has mercy, or he hardens hearts. He still does it today. That gives an answer of why people continue to kick against Christ and his people. Well, chapter 11 ends with the account of one more battle. We're covering this rather rapidly, but it's very simple what happens in each city and wherever they go. They conquered the south, now they conquered the north. Really about what was left was that there were the people called the Anakim, who were great warriors. They were the greatest warriors probably in all of Canaan. And they were the fiercest foes that the Israelites were going to have. And Israel came into that area and completely defeated them. Just destroyed them. Shut them down. They were wiped out. All the cities of these fierce warriors. And uh, you would have thought that that would have been maybe really difficult for them. But they continued to conquer on. There were outlying areas yet to kind of finish off. Uh, but really, it was pretty well done at the end of chapter 11, which is what we have covered today. We did uh, the rest of 10 and did 11. Now, we haven't read every verse gone through there, and if you want to read through that, I would encourage you to do it. But over and over, it's the same story as they did that. We get into chapter 12. Basically, you're going to see a list of 
of all the kings that Israel defeated. We won't spend any time covering that. And for 13 through 21, Joshua will describe how the land will be divided up among the Israelite tribes. So you'll see each tribe and where they're going to be at. And so here at the end, we see the bulk of the fighting has been done. It says in verse 23, the land had rest from war. It was done. Right there at the end, near the end of this chapter, we see that the land had rest from war. The people of God now possess the promised land. This is what God had told them. And he had promised, going back to Moses, going back really to Abraham, this is the covenant God, this is the promising God, and all that God promises, he does, he gives, and it was now theirs. Now what will we say about this? So that's a nice history lesson that we got in Joshua, in chapter 10 and 11, that we've gone through rather rapidly. But, what is it that we get out of it? Well, you know, it's kind of like a dress rehearsal of the Lord when He comes back. Because there was complete victory, there was complete judgment when Christ comes back. The second time, He will judge the world very viciously. But yet, for His people, He makes all things new. This is our promising God. In Hebrews 4, it mentions about the Sabbath rest. Joshua, even though he had given, been given all the victories over the northern part, the southern part, completely destroyed all the armies, and he led the people into where there was a land of rest. They didn't have to war over those nations in the way that they had there. It was done in that sense. There's peace and there's rest, but it's not the final reality. Uh, this, there is a final, ultimate Sabbath rest. Heaven. And that's what we look to. But even before that, there's Sabbath rest that we as God's people have entered. We've entered the Sabbath rest in that we have been saved, no longer defeated by sin. You see, the real enemy that the Israelites had, it really wasn't all of those cities and the nations that they conquered or had to conquer it was really sin and death. And the power of sin is incredible. But when that's defeated, and it was defeated at the cross, there we find our rest. When you look at the cross and the risen Christ, you see that that is the rest that Joshua rest was not completed yet, even though they had beaten the enemies. The final rest is over death and hell. That's the greatest enemies that we have. 
There's a much greater inheritance to us. Not just the land that, the, that was promised to the Israelites, but something that's even better than the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath rest. An eternal Sabbath. A heavenly rest. And that's what we look to that is to come. Even though we've entered the rest, now there is a final ultimate rest that we have. The great General Joshua, Yahashua, he oversaw the conquest of the land and the defeat of all the Canaanites. But there's a greater Joshua, Yahashua, Yeshua, Jesus, who conquered death. Not just the land and the enemies there, but the very fact that he beat death and hell and Hades and Satan and sin for us to enter in to Christ and also enter into the great eternal heaven that awaits us. And there we will enter our Sabbath rest completely and we'll be at peace forever. We will dwell in the glorious presence of the Lord Jesus Himself, of the great conqueror, Yeshua, Yahashua. God saves. So we've covered a lot in this study tonight, but the whole idea is that God is covenant God, and that's what He gives to us, the inheritance. What a story it is. Let's finish with a word of prayer. Dearly Father, we thank you for this covenant God. We can trust in every word that he says. He gives us victory. We are marching on. We are marching on as in war, as we battle against sin, battle against the wiles of the devil. We battle against the world and all of its evil. And Lord, we battle against the flesh. The world, the flesh, and the devil. All of that will be defeated. And we thank you, Lord, for giving complete victory. And we can trust in your promises absolutely in every way. You are a good God. Thank you for the story in Joshua which is real history, which is real true, and it's very valuable. And we can see in it something that goes even further as we trust in our Yeshua. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.